Let's Talk Gambling on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM with Andrew Brown, health promoter and counsellor, Josh and myself, Graham. Now, before I say welcome, guys, let me just say to our listeners, we're operating via a mm. messenger call today. Um, mm. Josh is sort of in isolation. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> and so we've got a bit of a, a hash-up of equipment here. Let's see if it works. So, Josh, say something. Hello, Graham. <laughs> can you hear me? I can indeed. So, Andrew, do you reckon we can handle this? I think we can. Hopefully I don't have the same delay factor. Right. Okay, guys, where are we going to start today? What's on the agenda? Gambling stats? Yeah, as I thought there would be a good place to start. Um, it's it's um, New Zealand news and uh, probably no surprises in the uh, stats that I'm going to talk about. Um, it's to do with, this is solely to do with online gambling and the um, the numbers are, as I say, no surprise. There is a comparison between August um or through to September, August, September 2021 and 2020. And um, they are all online stats. And the, the, probably in a very general way, it's fair to say there's been significant rises between 2020 and 20, 2021. Um, seven in ten gamblers who gambled online during um, September 21, during lockdown, used my lotto site, 69%. Um, the TAB, 26%, up 7%, and Instant Kiwi, up 7% as well. Um, that, that may not seem like a huge rise, but it is significant. And I, I found it interesting because I thought, well, we can um, put out some theories about why. It also, to me, raises some other issues around why gamblers, other factors that might be causing gamblers to access um, online more. And obviously, to me, one of them would be the the whole COVID threat. Indeed. And the fact that, and I anecdotally, I see this in my work. Um, I, uh, with a lot of problem gamblers, I am coming up against this issue, especially for people who play pokies or go out to gamble, they are health um, cautious or careful, whatever the operative word. Risk averse, even though that seems a bit of a paradox. We talk about risk averse, but when it comes to their health, they are. And um, so rather than put themselves at risk, they will stay at home. This is anecdotal, but the stats would suggest that rise. I would suggest that has a, a part to play. Um, their own personal well-being and pushed against gambling and the desire to gamble. Some of them are making choices not to gamble in that way. Uh, for some, I believe they will it will cause a reduction in gambling, but for others, they will simply replace it. Is it raise, raises an interesting question, doesn't it? If people are gambling pre-COVID and they're gambling X dollars a week, when they go online and changing to online gambling, are they increasing that volume of, of, of gambling spend? So um, if before they were spending X dollars, are, are they now spending um, the same amount or more online? That, yeah, there won't be the stats to uh, 
support that necessarily or to give those specifics, but I would say, again, anecdotally, the answer is yes, they will spend more online because of the, the purely the fact that the money pours in a seamless way without it even seeming like money. Mm. Um, and Josh will probably confirm this as well. It's um, Online provides a very uh, rapid opportunity to part with money in larger amounts. Your so, thoughts, Josh? Yeah, Andrew's right. It's it's about the de desensitisation, really, of money. As we've discussed on this show many, many times, that is why casinos, when you hand over your money, you don't bet in money, they give you chips. Because statistics show that you are more likely to part with chips and not think about what the value is of what you're actually parting with, which is different to what you would be doing if you're actually parting with notes. So online gambling is similar. Mm. It's numbers on a screen, and I think, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into that. It's only numbers on a screen, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the damage is going to be the same. You just may not be as aware of it at the time that you're doing it compared to if you were just handing over cash in person, and that is why online gambling is flourishing and, um, mm. you know, just going gangbusters. Mm. Not COVID is a big factor, but I think it's pretty likely that people's expenditure online will be more than what they would be doing in person. I personally don't think there's any doubt about yeah. that. And there's kind of an, an accumulating problem here, isn't there? Mm. If a gambler is spending more money now mm. because it's online, etc., etc., that must be putting an increased percentage of pressure on the family relationships and those increased pressures are then exacerbated by lockdowns and restrictions and masks yeah. and all the rest of it. So, Andrew, do you think we're actually... Um, well, yeah. let, let me change the question. My observation is that we are a grumpy community at the moment. Mm. A lot of people are saying and doing things that in normal circumstances you wouldn't expect. Go to the supermarket and you'll hear some comments and you, and you know that that's not normal speech pattern. Mm. But So there's this whole... <clears throat> Um, what's the word I want, increasing pressure within our family units and the problem gambling one is just another factor on top again. Yeah, and that say, interestingly that same article uh, was also alluding to other behaviours, um, alcohol increase consumption, similar in the same time zones, 2020, 2021, um, and drug use. And just those other two things, I didn't pay too much heed to them, but I did note that there was an increase in those areas, which are all indicators of people seeking out these ways to just cope with more stress and mm. uh, more pressure. And... Um, yeah, the, the world is a bit of a hostile place, and I don't want to seem gloomy about it, but even within New Zealand, I, I look at petrol as it's rising in price and diesel, and think that's another added burden. Plus, I heard about cabbages are selling in Auckland for, I think, 10 or $12 for a whole cabbage. Cool. Some people said, I don't like cabbage anyway, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, the world is yeah, it's a bit of a troubled and expensive place and um, there doesn't seem to be any, any end to it at the moment. 
So that's the hard part. And I, if we come back to gambling, I, my interest in this was, um, I, I suppose, personalising when I see certain trends in my work and when I hear people putting their personal well-being before their gambling, I feel gladdened by that. But then when I think more deeply about it, I realise I'm seeing people who want to get help. There will be others who will feel... Yeah, they don't want to go out and get sick, so they will jump to, I guess, other forms of yammy, and so there will be some of those that are contributing to these very stats that we're looking at. Mm, indeed. Right. So I'd better leave that because I think I've uh, that's pretty heavy, but you know, mm. that's the world we're living in at the moment, or part of it. Mm. Because, Josh, you're kind of a living illustration, aren't you? You're in not quite in isolation, but you're just restricting your movements at the moment because of a possible COVID contact. Yeah, it's, um, I would say, low risk. But at the end of the day, I think we've all got to do what we have to do to, you know, stop a necessary spread of things that, you know, can potentially be stopped. And I am probably being ultra cautious, but it's a self-imposed, I guess, isolation in a way. But, um, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And this has led to this very interesting um, circumstances to record a radio program. But the important question is, did you have enough chocolate in store before you closed <laughs> the doors? <laughs> and coffee. And coffee, indeed, indeed. OK, the um, Crown Casino saga. It's taken another lurch, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's a very interesting, a very interesting lurch too. And, and I must apologise because... Anybody that's a semi-regular listener to this program will have heard me last year saying that there will be no more mention about Crown Casino or anything to do with Crown Casino again. So I would like to apologise that I have gone back to the well one more time. Yeah, but it's a story that just keeps on but, giving, um, isn't it? Especially this sort of twist, I couldn't, I couldn't resist this aspect of it. So basically what's happened now is there is a group... And I'm not sure how you pronounce what they are, but the letters are A-U-S-T-R-A-C. So something like Austrac, would you say? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So basically what this group has done is taken out civil penalty action against Crown for alleged, alleged breaches of anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financial laws. So they've basically taken... After, as we know, what happened with the court case, which was... Not a lot. These guys have sort of taken it amongst themselves to um, take a private lawsuit, really, against Crown. And, and the article I've read is um, from the Australian Business School. And it's um, this guy is a professor who is obviously involved in a classroom situation, you know, taking classes, etc. And he he doesn't think it should be too challenging too challenging for this group to prove, given the overwhelming weight of evidence in support of the civil penalty action. The serious non-compliance with the Anti-Money Laundering Act has been well documented and laid bare in the forensic analysis conducted by two commissions of inquiry into Crown, which we have covered on this show before. The court could impose a fine of between 1.3 billion up to 12 billion if this judgment is found to be correct. 
The professor also says that it is disappointing that no criminal charges have been laid against any of the key company officers at Crown who appeared to look the other way due to lucrative financial rewards arising from breaching the law. There is supporting evidence in the Commissioner's report to show that Crown Company officers failed to act on well-known risks and that depending on any future criminal charges laid, penalties of up to 15 years imprisonment are actually available under the Corporations Act. So it, it, um, that's talking worst-case scenario, but it, it's some quite serious stuff if, if, if the court finds in favour of, of, um, of this new lawsuit. Mm, indeed. Yes, I, I skimmed through that article this afternoon and thought, goodness, and, you know, when they make such bold and, I guess, accurate statements about the deliberate looking away of, of the management um, in face of you know, some pretty, pretty tough evidence. And I think if you look back at um, some of the stuff that came out in the inquiry, one that stands out to me was the Asian lady who was allowed to play table games at the casino for 72 hours straight and they rolled out some chairs for her to be able to have a sleep in the casino in between <laughs> playing on the tables. Oh, and I just thought, well, I mean, what what can you say? I mean, that there's a saying, the proof's in the pudding. Well, I'm not mm. sure how that could possibly be justified mm. under yeah. under what the responsible gambling laws are, as Andrew, as Andrew would know. Yeah. Is there any indication of the time base of this happening? Not that i seen, just browsing through the article again, just to be sure. No, um, I'll, just, I'll just read the bottom part of it because um, this sort of sums up where it's at currently. In response to the allegations, Crown has said it is making substantial changes to become a leader in its approach to governance, compliance, responsible gambling and financial mm. crime risk management. While these apparitions are commendable, the professor of this... Um, our university says these are only achievable if there is clear recognition for a clean break from past wrongdoings and illegal practices. Without a change in mindset and a departure from this practice, the changes are likely to end up as mere window dressing. Reports of the Commission of Inquiries clearly show that risk mitigation together with the failure to exercise due diligence needs urgent attention and repair at Crown. Importantly, to succeed, the board will need to be seen as living the values of the organisation rather than paying lip service. So I wonder if they're going to have a bit of time before the court case is heard to try and make it seem like they are doing all the things that they were required to do by the new report. Indeed. Well, that Josh... Would be, that would be my guess. I, I would guess it's not going to be instant. Right. Well, Josh, we'll give you special dispensation. You are allowed to raise this topic again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Graham. And I do apologise again to anybody sitting there, maybe with their cup of tea, saying not this again. But I think this is a very, actually a very, very interesting, when you think about it, guys, this is a civil suit now. This is a group of people yeah. who have seen the commission, seen the inquiry and said, no, I don't think this is right. So they've taken it off their own back to file a civil suit. So it is quite a procedure and an uptake. Mm. So that they must feel very strongly about it. Indeed, indeed. And you know, my only, I, I didn't read the article, but listening to all that you've described, Josh, it kind of makes me think um, if they have a board 
um, and the people in that board are still remaining on it, it makes me wonder whether they really need some fresh blood, fresh thinking, fresh inspiration, because it might be very difficult for them, to be fair, those presently on their board, to think beyond where they've been all this time. And I'm I'm looking at it just purely from an outside point of view. Mm. But, yeah. But um, anyway, they only come under a lot more scrutiny, clearly. Mm. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Um, and that's a good point you make, Andrew. It, the current board is probably so knee-deep in the weeds, so to speak. Mm. It's probably hard for them to sort of take a 360-degree U-turn in yeah. terms of operating practice, because they've been doing it for so long. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good point you make. Mm. Fresh blood would, yeah. I think, certainly be advantageous. This is no doubt about that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, Josh, you were going to talk about mm. sports betting. Yeah, this is Sportsbet, sportsbet.com.au. They are a very, very major bookmaking agency in Australia. Um, of course, for anyone that doesn't know, in New Zealand, you only have the TAB. That's the only legal mm. form of gambling on horses and sport in this country. In Australia, there's there's hundreds of them, if not thousands. You, there, there's no regulation. Um, anyone can basically be a bookmaker. And this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And um, they've been in a little bit of trouble. They've been issued a $2.5 million infringement notice and have had to refund customers around $1.2 million as well. So that's a total of $3.7 million. The Australian Communications and Media Authority investigation found Sportsbet sent more than 150,000 marketing text messages and emails to over 37,000 customers who had tried to unsubscribe. Sportsbet also sent over 3,000 marketing texts to people and obviously a text message has no unsubscribe function, so basically you're not meant to do it. The marketing texts and emails from Sportsbet sent between January 2020 and March 2021 either offered incentives to customers to place bets or contained alerts about upcoming races. The ACMA has received complaints from people stating they were experiencing gambling-relating harm and were trying to manage the harm by unsubscribing from Sportsbet's promotions. Sportsbet's failure in this matter had the real potential to contribute to financial and emotional harm to people and their families. The ACMA contacted Sportsbet on several occasions leading up to the investigation to let the gambling provider know it has compliance problems and it failed to take adequate action. Over the past 18 months, businesses have paid nearly 3.4 million in issued infringement notices for breaking spam and telemarketing laws. The ACMA has also accepted 13 court enforceable undertakings and issued seven formal warnings to businesses. Mm. So in layman's terms, basically what they were doing, it didn't matter if people have unsubscribed from their mail list or not, they were still sending them their info to try mm. and get them to resubscribe and obviously to start gambling again. Yeah. There's no real difference to mm. if we subscribe to a newsletter from a company and if we don't want it anymore, we go unsubscribe, don't we? I think mm. we've all probably done that over the years. Yep. So it would be the same as keeping on receiving the newsletter 
after saying you don't want it, which is actually technically against the law. If you unsubscribe from something, they cannot keep sending you things. They are actually breaking the law. Mm. And text messages are different again because there is no unsubscribe feature. So unless you click a box that you are willing to accept text message communications and they send you a message, any company, again, is technically breaking the law. Mm. You're, you're not meant to do that. And sounds like Sportsbet were doing this to a number of people and not really caring that um, they may have other issues in beyond, and that's why they've unsubscribed. Mm. Well, that's a real ethical issue, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that they are hissing on people who have an, a recognised gambling problem who are trying to get away from them and they're still sending them stuff, that's that's quite immoral, isn't it? But from their point of view, it's, it's good business, good for business, mm. keeps it rolling. Mm. Yes, indeed. I, I, I found it interesting that um, they also mm. had to refund the customers who place bets in between that time period due to um, the marketing. So not only were they hit in the pocket with a fine, they probably could have lived with that, but to actually have to refund the customers all the money that they won off them may have hurt just a little more. So I I, I just from a personal point of view, I quite like that. That's um, an an interesting form of um, reparation, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. Well, guys, that's just about got us to the end of our time today. So, um, Andrew, any upcoming things that you're working on, looking at in the next month or so? Um, It's business as usual. There is um, the gambling conference that will be based in Wellington this year, later in the year. I think a lot of it, because of COVID, will be done uh, online. It won't be as we have experienced these conferences in previous years. But I will talk about that, not today, but mm-hmm. at a future, the next session, and oh. um, give a bit of detail. Yeah. And a contact telephone number if somebody wants to talk to you about um, gambling harm-related issues? Um, yes, gee, I have to remember. four two six two will get you through to whatever you want in terms of help. Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks, Josh. It's been interesting um, working with time lags. Cheers, guys. Thank you for um, getting getting through this. And um, hopefully, all things being equal, we should all meet in person again for the next show. Brilliant. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. You've been listening to Let's Talk Gambling, a program on behalf of the Problem Gambling Foundation, now known as PGF Services. That's the one. With Andrew Brown, Health Promotion Counselor, Josh and myself, Graham. Thanks, guys. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.